And thank you also in the absence of Pastor Brad and to the Hillcrest family. It's a privilege to be able to be with you this morning and to share with you um, as well. I've been speaking from uh, specifically a theme on how to live out oneness uh, in the churches that I've been visiting throughout this last month. How to live out oneness. And we're going to focus on Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29 today. Our world, as well as our country, have been really launched in chaos and confusion over these last few months. Uh, rather, it's deception or disruption, evil or envy. And it has thrown our world, as well as our country, into chaos. As a matter of fact, what we find out is that there is some residue that seems to rub off to the church and has had a negative impact upon our witness. For instance, our churches have displayed and have become more partisan in their function and less prophetic. And as a result, we find ourselves every four years repeating what took place in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 5, and that is we're seeking a king and we're not listening to the prophet. Unfortunately, we find as well that as there is ongoing contention that is going forth between statues and our flag and how we ought to represent what and what stands for what, that as we open and peel back those particular contentions, we find the church sitting as well, or better off, yielding, yielding and kneeling at these places of statues and flags as if they are a form of worship for us. Not only that, but followers of Christ have found themselves getting information uh, and being informed by social media or news forums like CNN and Fox News, and we've lost contact to who we ought to get our directives from. The scriptures is what calls us, the Bible was, is what calls us and teaches us and tells us what it says about truth, what it says about love and justice. And so Paul understood clearly about chaos in the culture. For as he went to speak to the church of Galatia, he had the opportunity to deal just with that type of disruption and that type of chaos and that type of contention that was, they were experiencing themselves. If you will walk with me in chapter 1, we find that Paul is sharing and, and he defends specifically his conversion and his calling for those who were accusing him of not being authentically called to being the minister of the gospel. In chapter 2, he addresses the hypocrisy of the Judaizers um, who were trying to create a different form of gospel. And so in chapter 3, he deals with doctrine. He deals with the fact that what is being taught by these Judaizers or is a counterfeit Christianity, it's a counterfeit gospel that desires to hold hostage those who um, were trying to live out the law. Paul reminds them that you're not to live out the law because the law is designed to draw you, to inform you, to lead you to Christ. But it is faith in Christ that is what justifies us. It is faith in Christ that leads us to the truth of the gospel. And so Galatians chapter 3, if you would read with me, starting at verse 26, the Bible says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. 
For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and you are heirs according to his promise. I want to give you three observations from this passage found in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. First of all is that you and I, we are part of one family. Second of all, we possess one fellowship. And thirdly, you and I have the privilege and the promise of one future. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you again for this time that I have to be online with my brothers and sisters here at the Hillcrest Covenant community and all those who are listening. God, we ask that as we open your word, you open your mouth. And because you open your mouth, you can set us free and encourage us with the truth. For us in Jesus' name we pray, and together we say, amen. The first thing I want to bring your attention to is that we are all part of one family. Paul says to the church of Galatia in verse 26, that so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Paul wants to remind these followers that you have been invited with Jesus Christ, to Jesus Christ, to be able to open the door of your heart. And for those of us who trusted him in faith, that he reminds us that this walk that we are invited to is a walk of faith in him. And because we walk this faith in him, that you and I get a chance to celebrate this life of faith as a family. He says that you and I are one. They call us the children of God through faith. And he wants to make sure that we understand what that means. That when he calls you and I to walk together in faith, that shapes us to be together with the same daddy. That is, Jesus himself calls you and I to himself to function collectively together. Here's the fun part about this. Even though we are part of one family, because of the kaleidoscope of culture that God has called humanity towards, that you and I have significant uniquenesses that God wants us to celebrate together. In other words, Hillcrest Covenant, you and I are in the same family. You just happen to be more light-skinned than I am. That you and I together celebrates what it means to be family members. And that means together we learn to love each other, and there are times that we get on each other's nerves. There are times when we have poor communication. There are times we don't like what each other says. There are times that in the midst of our consternation towards one another or conflict with one another, that we hurt each other's feelings. This is all a part of family life. But just because we don't agree together, just because we have conflict together, it doesn't mean that we disconnect from one another. It doesn't mean that we don't ask questions of one another. It doesn't mean that we're not part of the same family because we don't feel the same way. Jesus helps us to understand this even more. In John chapter 13, beginning at verses 34 and 35, Jesus says these words. He says, a new command I give you, to love one 
another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, not because you go to church. They won't know you are my disciples because you are part of a feeding program and you have a food pantry or clothing ministry or that you're doing great things around the city or the neighborhood. He says the world will know, your community will know, the culture will know, our city will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Notice that Jesus doesn't make this a suggestion. He makes it a command. He says that people will know the identity of the church based upon the ability for the church to love one another. This is a powerful passage because God does not bless what we pretend to be. God only blesses who we really are. That's why he said in verse 27, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves in Christ. He wants to make a distinction. We're not talking about everybody. We're not talking about the whole community. We only talk about those who have entrusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. For those of you who name the name of Jesus, for those of you who say, I am a follower of Christ, for those of you who have invited Jesus into your heart to live there, he wants you to know something and understand something. That in Christ Jesus, that you and I share his DNA together. That is his blood. It is the sacrifice of his body. It's his death that links us, not our cultures. It's his death that links us, his blood that links us, not our congregations, not our denominations. It's his blood and it's his body. And now this is not for everybody because he tells us specifically for those who were baptized into Christ Jesus. He makes it even more clear in John chapter 1, verse 12. He reminds us by saying, to all who did receive him, to all who believe in his name, does he give them the right to be called children of God? What our cultural crisis continues to reveal to us is who family do you and I truly and really represent? The world is asking a question. And the question they're constantly asking is, why do we need your Jesus? We look at your churches and we want to know what difference have your God made in your life that we need him? And our answer's got to be clear and concise and succinct. And our answer is simply this. We need a God that can empower us to do in us what we can't naturally do. In other words, we need a God that has the ability to help us to love unconditionally. A God that has the ability to help us to forgive individuals who have hurt us. A God who gives us the ability to speak truth coupled in love. We need a God that teaches us how to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with him. We need a God that helps us to be able to walk in purity. We need a God that has the ability to help us to do what we cannot naturally do. It requires the power of God to allow us to be one family. The world asks, why is Jesus necessary? And only the church, only those of us 
who are following after him can actually show them the answer. You and I are called to one family. Second of all, we possess one fellowship. In verse 28, he tells us something, and I want you to pay close attention to this. This is not just sociological, this is theological. He tells us there is neither Jew nor Gentile. That means there is no racism. He tells us that there's neither slave nor free. There is no classism. He tells us also, nor is there male or female. There is no sexism. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Some people think that this verse helps us to say that God wants us to be colorblind. No, God is not colorblind. He doesn't call us to be colorblind. He is not blind at all. What he wants you and I to understand, what he wants you and I to be able to embrace as the body of Christ is what he calls unity and oneness. See, we confuse oftentimes unity with being homogeneous. God doesn't want us to be the same. He created us to be uniquely different. We understand it when we understand family. In a family, we all are different, though we may be in the same family. In a family, we all don't like the same thing. In a family, we recognize that even when we don't like to eat the same thing, we don't like to play with the same thing, we don't like going on the same types of vacations, we don't all talk the same that others do in our own families. Why? Because our families are unique. I can't have my son try to act and pretend that he's me because the Bible said he has his own bent, his own uniqueness. And so he calls us in this collective fellowship because we have uniqueness. It's a shared uniqueness. It's what Acts 17 verse 26 says. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Do you know that God not only created diversity, but he created diversity for his pleasure and for our enjoyment? That's why we can begin to appreciate not only your own culture, but the others, the culture of others that we can enjoy with each other. That's why white folk could come to my house and enjoy fried chicken, collard greens, sweet potato pie, candy yams, and watermelon. And that's why I could go to my wife's friend's home and I can enjoy good casserole and baked chicken and pumpkin pie. That's why we like to go to different restaurants, rather it's Chinese restaurants or Indian restaurants or African restaurants or vegan restaurants. We all have a desire for variety, and God created that variety for us to enjoy for his pleasure and for our enjoyment. Why? Because for you and I are all one in Christ Jesus. And that's the most important aspect, that we only have the power to walk together in one fellowship because of Jesus and what he has done on our behalf. Not only do we have a part of, not only are you a part of one family or that we possess one fellowship, 
But we also have a promise given to us by God that we together have one future. Verse 29. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and inheritors according to the promise that he's given. I don't want you to read that too fast. He helps you and I to understand that if we are part of the family of God and we collectively are in fellowship with one another, he tells us that you and I belong to Christ. And if we do, then we get a chance to inherit the promises that he has given to Abraham. He crystallizes this promise in John chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. He tells us, don't let your heart be troubled. For if you believe in God, you can also believe in me. That in my house, there are many rooms. The King James Version says mansions. We like that. But he says there are many rooms. If it wasn't true, I would not have told you. Now get this. Verse 3 says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, I will come back and get you so that you can be where I am too. That's a promise that Jesus gives to the body of believers in the church who desires to walk with him as the same family. That is a promise that you and I have, and that promise is rooted in his grace. By grace, as children of God, we inherit this promise that God has given to Abraham. And not only do we inherit it, but we can anticipate the joy of all of this inclusiveness. Tim Keller once made this statement as he was preaching on truth and justice. He said, this grace combats racial prejudice, classism, superiority, hopelessness, because it depends on Christ's hospitality towards us and not our own greatness. See, as the body of Christ in the culture today, we must realign ourselves so that we are God's representation on this earth. The last thing that the culture needs to see is staged love. What they need to really encounter is what the body of Christ looks like when they decide to be in obedience and obey God's command. He calls us to be one family. He calls us to possess one fellowship. He promises that collectively together we will have one future. But in order to understand that, I want you to listen to and watch a video clip about why it's important that you and I walk together in oneness and not sameness, because we all bleed Jesus' blood together. Watch this. I want to say something to everyone in a spirit of humility, a spirit of meekness, and a spirit of Christ-like love. There's chaos and calamity in the world, and there's so much hurt and distrust. When police are killed, we need to say something. When black boys are killed, we need to say something. And when we don't say something, we're saying something. We have the spirit of redemption when we speak. At our concerts, in our churches, 
I beg of you, let's ask the people that we are accountable and stand in front of to pray with us for healing. We And life is taken in the name of hatred. So hard to take. And if we think that it's all good, then we're mistaken. Cause my heart is breaking. Tell it, DC. Are you left? Are you right? Pointing fingers, taking sides. face 
you will forgive our sins and you'll heal our incredible land. In the name of the only Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Church, how do we ever get to the place where we allow the culture to dictate our lifestyle? How do we ever get to the place where we have allowed ourselves to demonize those who disagree with us and make a deity of those who do? How do we ever get to the place where we allow the culture to discern our conversations when it comes to humanity and their dignity? Church, how do we get to the place where the culture defines for us how we ought to function within it? How do we get to the place where we would surrender our, the authority of God's word uh, in order for us to get a seat at a partisan table? How did we do this? When was the last time that the culture ever approached the church to define and find out from us how we ought to define love or express it? God calls you and I to express his love. And that's what Paul was just sharing with the church of Galatia, that the culture, don't let them infiltrate and to show you a different gospel. That the gospel of his authenticity is the gospel that transforms the lives of humanity. And because we are recipients of that transformation, that we're called to recognize that we're only here for a moment, that God left us on this earth to represent his interests of the kingdom. And somehow, church, we've allowed the kingdom to be the United States of America. How did that ever happen where we believe that it's God bless America and nobody else? Where has it stemmed from us that this place the place that we live, the country that we love, have all, all of a sudden become our final destination. God wants you to know that this is not your final destination, that he's called us heavenward, and that's his promise towards us. But while we're here, we're called to occupy his interests on this earth. It's similar to when I travel and I get a chance to go to various airports, I always want to find out where the nearest Smoothie King or the nearest Cinnabon is located because that just happened to be my kryptonite is a good Cinnabon and smoothie. And I, when I, I'll never forget when I was going uh, back home traveling from an event I was at, we had a layover in Dallas-Fort Worth. And I knew exactly where that Smoothie King and that Cinnabon was. And I knew it was going to be cat a corner to the gate that we was going to depart from. But because it was such a long uh, way off from where we arrived, I had to hustle up and, and run faster. When I got to the line where Cinnabon was, it, it was perfect because Cinnabon and the smoothie were together. But the line was so long, and as I waited patiently in the line like a good Christian, I noticed that they started to call my gate number and started to board my plane. And as I was waiting and watching, waiting for me to arrive in front of that line to get my Cinnabon and watching them line up and get on that plane, I saw that the numbers kept dwindling and they were finally calling my last group for me to board. I'm standing, I just made it as number two in line. And then all of a sudden, the person who has been waiting in line in front of me get into the front 
of the line and act like they didn't know what to order. We've been on this line all this time. They could have figured it out by that time. And so I'm looking, waiting. I grew impatient. I really want to just ask her if she could just step to the side and let me go ahead and order because my plane is about to leave. And I'm looking, and there, the last person is entering into the gate. And so I'm looking at the Cinnabon. I'm looking at my gate. I'm looking at the Cinnabon. I'm looking at my gate. And I just say, ah, shucks. And I leave and run to the gate. Well, why would I do that, as important as the Cinnabon is to me? A reason why I did that is because Dallas-Fort Worth was not my final destination. Kansas City is my home. Well, saints, you need to know, as our worship leaders come forward, that the United States of America is just a layover. Our final destination is the promise that God has given to us of the future that we collectively, as the ethnos, the body of Christ in its entirety, all races, all cultures will gather together, as Revelation 21 says, and we will celebrate as a family the future that God calls us to. This is just a layover. But until he calls us as one family back home, we are called to represent his interests on this earth. You and I must live out to the world that we're in what it looks like to live as one. Living out oneness, saints. That's what God calls us to. God bless you.